Welcome to the LDA Podcast, a series created by the Learning Disabilities Association of America. This series is dedicated to improving the lives and education of all learners. In each episode, we talk to an expert about topics like anxiety in the classroom, strategies to help students with learning disabilities, and how to eliminate the school-to-prison pipeline. Today, LDA's Education Committee Chair, Christina Scott Quinlan, talks to Dr. John B. King, Jr., the President and CEO of the Education Trust. The two discuss what individuals can do to support learning for all, going about teaching diversity and teaching staff, and what's on Dr. King's reading list. Hello, everyone. I'm sitting here with Dr. John B. King, Jr. Um, He's the president and CEO of the Education Trust, a national nonprofit organization that seeks to identify and close opportunity and achievement gaps from preschool through college. King served in President Barack Obama's cabinet as the 10th U.S. Secretary of Education. In tapping him to lead the U.S. Department of Education, President Obama called King an exceptionally talented educator, citing his commitment to preparing every child for success and his lifelong dedication to education as a teacher, principal, and leader of schools and school systems. Thank you for joining me, Dr. King. Thanks for the opportunity. So in a speech I heard from you, you noted that education has a transformative power. How has education transformed you? Uh, Well, education has just played a critical role in my life. Um, Both my parents were career educators, New York City public school teachers. and then my father was an administrator, my mom was a school counselor. Um, and so they spent their whole careers working in New York City schools, but they couldn't have known the difference that school would make in my life. Uh, both my parents passed when I was a kid. Um, my mom when I was eight, my dad when I was 12. And it was teachers in New York City public schools who gave me a sense of hope and possibility. I just had a series of amazing teachers who made school a place that was challenging and nurturing and engaging and supportive. A place where I could be a kid when I couldn't be a kid at home. Uh, And um, even after my dad passed when I was 12 and I moved around different family members, different schools, it was always teachers who uh, gave me a sense of hope and possibility. So if not for those teachers, I don't think I'd be alive today. Maybe I'd be in prison. Uh, They just set my life on a very different course by investing in me. And I became a teacher because I wanted to try to do for other kids what teachers have done for me. And I'm uh, just convinced that education is our best lever uh, to, to change the trajectory of kids' lives and to expand opportunity and possibility for them. So your, your trust really focuses on identifying and closing opportunity gaps. So when and how did you really become aware of the gross disparities that exist in public education for, for students today? Yeah, well I've certainly seen it all my career, but even as a kid, just was very conscious that some students were getting great opportunities and others were not. And the, and the reality is as a country, um, sadly we very often give the least to the kids who need the most. Uh, low-income students and students of color are less likely to get high-quality early childhood education. They are less likely to get uh, well-prepared, effective teachers. Uh, they are less likely to get uh, resources. We know there are big resource gaps for low-income students, for students of color, for high-needs rural communities. Oftentimes, uh, states are under-investing in those school districts. 
Um, we know that low-income students and students of color are less likely to get access to a well-rounded education that includes science and social studies and the arts, not just English and math. Uh, often, low-income students and students of color are less likely to have access to school counselors uh, and the socio-emotional support that that, that that translates into, but also the support around post-secondary planning uh, that's so critical for students. And we know that low-income students and students of color are uh, unfortunately less likely to graduate from high school than their more affluent peers and less likely to get the support they need to go on to college than their more affluent and white peers. So, you know, we have this huge challenge as a country and the Education Trust really exists to try to uh, hold up a mirror through our research and then to create change through our advocacy and we work at the federal and state level to change the policies uh, that create those equity gaps. So how, what are some of the policies that you've been able to change so far? Yeah, so some of the things that I'm hopeful about, and we've been around 25 years, been in a lot of fights, and, and <laughs> remain in a lot of fights. We don't always win, but, but we are always fighting for low-income students and students of color. Some recent successes, uh, I was very pleased that we were part of a coalition of civil rights groups that worked uh, in support of school funding reform in Massachusetts. Uh, Massachusetts, just before the holidays, passed a new law that will put $1.5 billion of additional funding into public education, targeted to the highest needs districts, uh, with real accountability for the dollars getting to the highest needs kids, uh, and a requirement for parent and community engagement in a planning process to use the new dollars for evidence-based interventions that will close opportunity gaps. Uh, so we're really encouraged about the direction there. Um, we've been uh, very involved in trying to increase supports for English learners in the state of Delaware. Uh, we've been very involved in uh, efforts at the federal level to defend against proposed uh, cuts to education by the current administration and we've been successful in our work with Congress to protect against cuts. Um, and now we're engaged in advocacy around reauthorization of the Higher Education Act at the federal level, uh, which hopefully will create an opportunity to invest more, uh, not only in helping the highest need students go on to college, but helping them to succeed there. Uh, we have good evidence around programs and interventions that will help students to succeed, uh, but we aren't, as a country, making the investments that we need to in those programs. So your organization is doing a lot. For somebody that's not directly involved in your organization, what could they do to help further these efforts? Yeah. Uh, well, they could come to our website at trust.org and check out the many resources there. And what we try to do, whether we're talking about uh, access to strong, diverse teachers or access to quality early childhood education or uh, access to quality higher education, we try to always include uh, action steps that people can take in their own community. So that may mean going to a school board meeting and asking school board members, how are we allocating resources within the district? And are all students getting equitable access to the strongest teachers? Or are first year teachers and teachers teaching out of their area of study disproportionately assigned to low-income students and students of color. Uh, it could mean going to your state legislature and testifying on a bill to address exclusionary discipline and to replace suspensions and expulsions with um, 
more holistic supports, school counselors, mental health services, restorative justice programs. Uh, it could mean uh, volunteering at your school and trying to make sure that uh, students who are struggling because of a learning disability aren't missed. Um, it could mean uh, uh, volunteering in a summer or after school program to create enrichment opportunities for low-income students who might not otherwise have those experiences. So there are lots of different ways that uh, folks can get engaged and we try to always point out those things that, that people can do in their, in their own community or in their own state. So I'm in the field of teacher preparation and oftentimes what I see um, once students graduate is they're hired in a high needs district and they're a beginning teacher with a lot coming at them. How do we prepare teachers so that they can, they can work with the most, um, the children that need the most needs? Yeah. Well, there's a few things. One, we need to strengthen teacher preparation, right? And we know that in many states, uh, there isn't a requirement for teachers to get good preparation on working with students with learning disabilities, for example. Uh, in many states, there's no requirement that teachers are prepared to work with English learners, even though we know English learners are now 10% of our student population and a growing percentage in many states. Um, many states, the teacher preparation programs are not required to teach the science of reading. And so teachers leave their teacher preparation not knowing about the importance of teaching uh, phonics or decoding skills, uh, not knowing the importance of vocabulary building and knowledge building uh, to success in reading. So there's, there's work to do to strengthen teacher preparation and really, particularly on the issue of students with learning disabilities, we should have every aspect of teacher preparation integrating uh, the skills necessary to successfully support students with learning differences. So whether you're in a course about teaching math or teaching science or teaching social studies or supporting kids' socio-emotional development, in all of those courses and experiences, you should be thinking about uh, students with learning differences as well as English learners. Um, so there's a lot we can do to strengthen the preparation. We ought to be investing more in teacher residencies. Oftentimes, student teaching is a very short experience. Um, and unfortunately, in many communities, uh, who gets a student teacher is sort of who raises their hand rather than making sure that we're assigning student teachers to the strongest teachers who can really support um, their mentees in developing the skills they need for success. Uh, it sometimes can be expensive to have residency programs because they require more time from the student, uh, but what our international competitors know is that that upfront investment pays off in the long run. So we ought to have a longer student teaching experience. Um, there's support we can do on the induction side. You know, I think about a place like Singapore where uh, teacher preparation isn't seen as something that ends when you finish your degree program. It's really the early part of your career that is seen as a part of teacher preparation. You're getting coaching from a mentor. Um, we may want to have new teachers have more professional development time. So maybe a, a smaller course load than their colleagues so that they have time to observe colleagues, time to um, work collaboratively on lesson planning and so forth so that they're continuously learning during that induction period, those first few years of teaching. And then we've got work to do on ongoing professional development. 
Um, we have to make sure that, that teachers are continuously learning, getting the support they need um, so they can keep getting better for their kids. That's what teachers want. We just have to make sure that we provide the investment and the time. Mm -hmm. Do you have legislation around those areas or not yet? Yeah, I mean, it, again, we're, it depends on the state. So mm -hmm. right now we're working out an effort in Maryland. Uh, there was a commission called the Kerwin Commission that made a set of recommendations around really uh, investing in public education, but particularly in the teaching profession, uh, raising teacher compensation, uh, creating a teacher career ladder model so that teachers can have continuous professional development, can become master teachers and mentor teachers for their colleagues, um, rethinking, uh, how the teaching profession works to think about it not as uh, something you enter just straight from teacher preparation we assume it's all going to go smoothly but rather um, a practice that continues to be honed over time and so in Maryland they, they will start to subsidize people complete the national board certification process which we know uh, is a great opportunity for teachers to um, to learn, reflect on their practice, get recognized by their peers, and then come back and contribute to their colleagues. Uh, so we're excited about that. Um, that's working its way through the legislature, and we're, we're hopeful uh, that we'll see a significant investment there. Um, you know, in this work in Massachusetts that I was describing, we are hoping that some of the districts will use their new, these new dollars to support evidence-based professional development programs for their current teacher workforce. Um, Tennessee, the state just announced uh, a big push in this legislative session on the science of reading and improving the preparation of teachers around uh, the science of reading, investing in professional development, uh, so that current teachers have a better understanding of the role that decoding instruction should play, as well as uh, vocabulary and knowledge building. So there are lots of promising efforts around the country in the different states where we work, uh, but certainly much more to do. Sounds like you're doing a lot to elevate the teaching profession. That's absolutely our goal. You know, it's something that for me as a teacher has always been a, a focus of, of my work, uh, certainly in the Obama administration, that was one of our core pillars of our work in education was to try to elevate the teaching profession and that's carried over to the education trust. We also know we need to do work to diversify the mm -hmm. teaching profession. The majority of kids in the nation's public schools are kids of color. Only 18% of our teachers are teachers of color. Only 2% of our teachers are African American men. Uh, we have a lot of work to make sure that we uh, have Grow Your Own programs to help young people even in high school, see teaching as, as possible for them. Uh, we have a lot of work to do to make sure that folks who work in after school and summer programs, uh, folks who are paraprofessionals, uh, all of whom are often more diverse as a pool of potential teachers, we need to make sure all those folks see teaching as a path for them and create those kind of grow your own programs. Uh, we've got to do more to improve teacher compensation and loan forgiveness so that folks who maybe are first-generation college students themselves can see that they can go into teaching and support their families and not have a mountain of debt. Um, we've got to do more to support folks and make sure that, that people, uh, particularly teachers of color, feel a sense of community in their schools so that they'll stay. Yeah. Uh, so it's really a recruitment and a retention challenge. So in an ideal world, what would education look like for a child or young adult going through the public school yeah. system or going through any schooling system? You know, at the end of the day, I think it's, we should want for all 
all children what we would want for our own children, right? And that, that's really, to me, the test, right? And um, we all know kids have different needs. You know, I have two daughters. Uh, they're different people. They have different needs. They have different interests. And they need different kinds of support. All of our kids need different supports. And in a system that is equitable, we would provide each of our kids what they need to thrive. And that means that teachers need to be prepared to support students with learning disabilities. It means teachers need to be prepared to work with English learners. It means that our school communities have to have a diversity of offerings so that students who are really passionate about theater, like my elder daughter, can pursue that. And students who are really passionate about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, like my younger daughter, can pursue that. Um, we need to create that, that um, opportunity for every kid uh, to be their best self. And that's, that's what equity requires. I think I have a young daughter as well. Um, and she's intense. <laughs> she's under two, but um, she has a lot of, a lot of social emotional learning mm -hmm. needs even at that age. So I, I can just imagine what my future is going to be like as she goes through the grades and hoping that the quality of teacher or the compassionate teacher that she gets like and I see I think we see a lot of um, social emotional learning issues or difficulties with some of our students today. That's right. So I think and I don't know that we do a lot of in the teacher prep field anyways about educating how to even build social emotional learning competencies. That's right. I and mean, that, that that's that's another way that we need to strengthen teacher preparation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's really about helping teachers prepare to build strong relationships mm -hmm. with students. You know, in many ways, really what school comes down to is the relationship between teachers and students and the work in which they are engaged, right? And so how do we make sure that folks have strategies for helping students who have experienced trauma, mm -hmm. for example, um, navigate that? Uh, how do we help teachers um, think about how they develop their students' socio-emotional skills, um, the ability to persevere when faced with a challenge, uh, the ability to see mistakes as a learning opportunity rather than as a personal failing. Um, how do we help teachers address their own issues of implicit bias and create environments that honor students' diversity? Um, how do we make sure that teachers are thinking about the messages that they send um, to young people about what's valued, whether that's around issues of gender or race or LGBTQ status, right? How do we prepare teachers to create healthy classroom communities? Um, and, and then how do we support that work in an ongoing way? You need more school counselors. We know there are many states where the ratio of students to school counselors is like 600 to one. Uh, that's, not, that's not a recipe for a healthy socio-emotional environment. Uh, we know we need more access to mental health services in schools for kids who are going through really difficult situations. Uh, we need more support for educators and parents around how to navigate the social media age and technology and that, the role of technology in kids' lives. Um, yeah, it's another place where, where we need to make more investment and we need to think strategically about the long term. Um, 
you know, we're willing, sadly, as a country to pay a huge amount to incarcerate people, um, but we could spend a fraction of that invested in quality educational experiences, both academically and socio-emotionally, uh, and then have productive citizens who don't end up incarcerated. We really have a choice to make about how we allocate our, our resources. Yeah, we do have a choice. One last question to end with. Um, in a speech, you said that uh, President Obama had given the advice that read for, to, to gather different perspectives. So what is on your reading list? Yeah. Well, a couple of things I always, always recommend. Uh, every summer, I read uh, this book, Leadership Without Easy Answers by Ron Heifetz. Uh, and what Heifetz talks about is, and oftentimes we make the mistake of uh, seeing leadership as a technical task of giving a solution to folks, as opposed to seeing leadership as an adaptive task that's about helping a community bridge the gap between its current reality and its values. And that's a different vision of leadership that's about the leader empowering the community to make a change rather than being the person with the answers. Uh, and he just does a fabulous job in, in that book of um, telling that story. Um, and then uh, another, another book that, that uh, we recently read at, at Trust as a, as a, as a staff and I've talked a lot about is a book called Push Out by Monique Morris, which is about the disparities in the use of exclusionary discipline with young women of color and why that happens, what schools would need to do differently to change that, um, some of the negative consequences in kids' lives of that exclusionary discipline, the way it can derail kids, feed them into a school-to-prison pipeline, uh, and that, that's a really powerful um, text and, and helping all of us as educators reflect on school cultures and how we can make our school cultures different. Thank you for your time, Dr. King. I know you're busy and have somewhere else to go, but I appreciate you taking the time to oh, do this interview. Thanks for the conversation. Thank you. <laughs>